is the Amadon Planet Podcast, episode 24. I am your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast, we are talking with Sam Gilbert, a teacher, teacher educator, doctoral student at the University of Mississippi School of Education, and former guest of the Amadon Planet Podcast, and now a current guest. And we're going to talk with Sam about Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, the best-selling book by Angela Duckworth. We teased this conversation when Sam was on episode 16, I believe, of the podcast, where we talked about teaching Math Max as agape or teaching math as unconditional love. And you're going to hear Sam's got a lot of thoughts about this book. You're going to hear that Sam is tying this book in or some of the thoughts and ideas or uh, research in this book to her own research. And so... Lots of good conversation, um, lots of connections to teaching better, lots of things, uh, opinions about the book that we're going to bring out, Um, but I don't want to delay anymore. Let's get into this conversation with Sam, but we will delay just for a second, and if you know me, you know we have a love for books here on the Abaddon Planet Podcast, and we want to make sure that even though our conversation, Sam's and I's conversation about grit is going to be great that we're not going to cover the whole value of the book. And even if we did, it'd be from our perspective. So if you like what you hear, you know what I'm going to say, go get the book for yourself. Links to purchase the book can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 24, or better yet, go support your local bookstore. Um, like here in Mississippi, in Oxford, Mississippi, we have Square Books, which is a great local bookstore. And if you've got a great local bookstore, especially during this time of a global pandemic, I would say go support them if you can. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam Gilbert on Grit. Sam Gilbert, thank you for returning to the Amazon Planet podcast. We appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back on the Amazon Planet podcast. So thank you for having me. Well, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a give and take sort of situation. I had you come on and talk about my dissertation research, and we're kind of doing the the exchange where we're going to talk about Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. And I know that your dissertation research is kind of built off some of the research that's going on within the book. And we, we've teased it. That was a long time ago. What was it, like January? Maybe we talked about coming back and doing yes. this. Yes. A, lot has, uh-huh. a lot has happened since then. A sure lot. has a lot. 2020 is definitely taking a turn. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of could use a little uh passion and perseverance through this time. So we all I need think, a little grit to get yeah. through this quarantine. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I, I've been excited to talk about this book. I've been excited to read it. Um, and then also just to, to see how this connects with some of the things you've been thinking about. Um, you know. Sam's a doctoral student, if you haven't remembered from our previous uh, episode of the podcast, a doctoral student at the University of Mississippi, an experienced teacher, and one of our best teachers of teachers at the University of Mississippi. I'll just, I'm not going to shy around that. You definitely have a way. I don't know about that. Thank you. You definitely have a way of working with uh, our our teacher candidates, and they appreciate the the work that you do. Now, that's that's for sure. And then also just thinking about the... um, uh, the work that you have done as a teacher and now bringing that into thinking about how can you help others um, uh, with what you're doing in the classrooms. And maybe, I don't know, just before we get started in, into the book, Angela Duckworth book, Grit, why don't you talk a little bit about your, um, 
well, anything from your background that you think I missed, but then maybe how your interest in grit kind of came to be. Yeah, for sure. And so I taught second grade for four years. And then um, my third year of teaching second grade, I decided that's when I wanted to go back to school. And that's when my interest with grit and my current research came into play. Um, and so my third year, I was accepted at Ole Miss into the specialist program. And so I started taking night classes during that year. But then when it came to my fourth year of teaching, that's when I was um, persuaded and talked into maybe I should just go all the way and try to get into the doctorate program. And so that's when I decided to apply for the doc program. And I actually started doing some research in my classroom once I got that acceptance and knew that that's where I was going to be headed. And so my last year of teaching, I worked with Dr. Jim Payne. The legend, Dr. Jim Payne. He is definitely a legend and I will forever be thankful for his influence on me and my students that year and even just all of his advice throughout this time knowing him. But he would come to my classroom and we would basically just teach my students how to solve the Rubik's Cube. And it started off with um, a 10 to 15 minute whole group learning session where Dr. Payne would present a quick PowerPoint or a video and just explain the purpose of the Rubik's Cube and go through the steps. And then after he would do his 15 minute session, we would then um, let students practice it on their own or in groups or in small groups. And then he would even stay throughout the day and pull students individually to help them with a more differentiated instruction as to what that student particularly needed. And so that's kind of how my interest with grit got started because we were seeing that by teaching students how to solve this Rubik's Cube, we were teaching them how to persevere and how to have a passion for a long-term goal. Because with the cube, you are definitely going to experience more failures than you are success. And it takes a lot of perseverance and they find that passion to keep going and to keep pushing forward so that they can achieve each step and then potentially have mastery of the whole cube. And so that's when it all got started. And ever since then, I've just continued that research and I've gotten a little bit deeper with grit and I've you know included some growth mindset. And now I've looked at some brain development and what that looks like for lower elementary students. And so three years later, we're still working with the Rubik's Cube in second grade classrooms. However, the COVID situation put this semester's um, cube instruction to a halt, but, you know, I was able to start um, in August, I guess, and then I finished up before spring break, and so the students were off to a great start, and they were developing and, you know, solving the cube, and there are some who had already mastered the whole cube, so I hate that I didn't get to finish out this year with them, but I did have great success with the time that I was able to visit. Well, and I'm going to ask a question that maybe some of our listeners are asking too. Well, why, Sam? Why would why would you teach the Rubik's cube? Like, and and again, I the legend of Dr. Jim Payne. I've never saw him so so excited. So, what's the excitement? What's the intent of doing this work with the, the Rubik's, Rubik's cube? cube? Yeah. So I don't. The Rubik's cube is just the tool that we decided to use. So I want everyone to understand that it could be any type of tool or anything that's going to push students out of their comfort zone. And so the idea behind using the Rubik's Cube to teach grit is that it's got several different steps. Typically, the Rubik's Cube can be solved learning five different steps. And so with those steps, you can break them in, the, break the steps down into attainable goals. And by having those attainable goals, the students are, you know, seeing, oh, I can do the first step. And so then it's instilling that intrinsic motivation. 
then they know, okay, I can keep practicing. And with a lot of effort, I can learn step two. And so it's a great way to provide differentiated instruction for all students with whatever level that they are on. And so that's kind of why the Rubik's Cube is such a hit because it does break the steps down. And it's something that students are interested in. I mean, it's, it's a puzzle. And so they see what the outcome looks like when you have it all solved. And that's what their goal is. And they really want to push to get to that. Um, I've also read some research about how I've connected it to video games. Students love to play video games and play on their phones and different apps that they have on their iPhones and iPads and all the digital devices. And it's the same with a video game. There's different steps. You achieve that one level, you're going to the next level. And so it does put in that intrinsic motivation that helps instill that perseverance. And so that's kind of why the Rubik's Cube fits perfectly with how to develop and instill grip with students. Yeah, it, it it kind of reminded me, and I don't want to step on our just why well, I'm going to step on our discussion of the the deliberate practice mm-hmm. discussion within the book Grit and thinking about yes. there's some sort of goal they're going to have concentration effort. You can't really be you know talking to and still be manipulating the cube. There's that immediate informative feedback. It's either is or isn't you know sort of thing like it either looks like it's supposed to or not. And then repetition, reflection, and refinement. And I think that's where the coaching from you all helps them do that. And it's like, you know, th- deliberate practice is rare. Like when you really think about it, like, um, you know, Hey, isn't that anytime you assign homework and like, no, it's, it do- doesn't happen. Or, um, yeah. and I'll, I'll brag on myself, Sam, I just got a guitar <laughs> again. We're looking for all sorts of things around the Abaddon household to keep us occupied. And I used to have a guitar back in the, um, back in college, you know, trying to pick up the ladies. But anyway, um, I got one and I stopped playing. So (laughs) I don't think I ever impressed Katie. But that is, yeah, learning the guitar is a definite example of what a deliberate practice looks like. But I think like, and and just to make the connect, like I think back then I was just like, you know, I wasn't really like thinking about the deliberate practice. I like, I was like doing what was easy and like, and never really advanced. And now I'm thinking about it. Like I want to play this song. And what do I need to do? I need to learn the strumming pattern. I need to learn these chords. I need to learn how to manipulate my fingers back and forth. And so like this book, I could read in this book at the same time as re-picking up the guitar. It's like, all right, how can I actually make, I have 15 minutes to practice the guitar. Like I'm trying to do that every day, building a habit, uh, nod to the last episode of the ML Planet podcast. But uh, think about like trying to build in the habit and like what, what specific goal do I have? What am I trying to do? How can I get better in this small period of time. And I think that's what you all offer these kids is like, Hey, you're not to the, the, what the white cross, right? That's the first, yeah, is that the first step? first step mm-hmm. and the Rubik's screw, the right white cross. You haven't done that yet. And like, you know, you offer some coaching or even probably kids are offering other kids coaching as well. Right. To yeah, get that's what I was going to say. So not only we found that, you know, kids learn more from each other because they're able to really relate to what they're having to say and they have that experience with one another. And so not only are they practicing, you know, with us and we're able to give that feedback and that instruction to help make them, you know, progress to the next step, but they're also giving each other advice and tips and they're coaching each other and they're really pushing their friends to the next level of what that deliberate practice might look like for step two and step mm-hmm. three and so on until it goes into, until they have mastery of the entire cube. Which is, I mean, and, and then that allows kids to be seen as experts 
you know, where sometimes, you know, just the teacher just has the answers, right? But now kids are being seen to be experts. And I would assume some of these kids can solve it a lot better than yourself or Dr. Payne could, right? Absolutely, for sure. I've had students who have solved it with their eyes closed and love to do all kinds of tricks. And, you know, even the great thing too with the Rubik's Cube is even for students who do have mastery in solving the cube, there's tons of other cubes and different shapes out there that they can then go on to try to complete. You know, they've got triangles, they've got two by twos, they've got six by sixes. So it's always a way for students to continue growing and to continue pushing up that ladder. Um, We even at one point bought some of my students kits where they could build their own Rubik's cube. And wow. so that was really cool because not only were they able to solve it, but they had could find pride in like, hey, I actually built this and I put it together. And then I was able to get the solves, you know, get the sides all back to its original state. Awesome. And so like you said before, this, you know, this was a selected tool in order to develop this sort of ideas around um, perseverance, problem solving, some of this, maybe even just to do the deliberate practice, but then and to see what results could come about, like what sort of other things might be results. And I know that's where some of your data collection is going and we're looking forward to seeing what you find out. <laughs> so let's jump Me into too. the book. Let's jump into the book. Um, okay. All right. So we, we're going to do, and since you, we talked last, uh, I keep adjusting the, the questions a little bit, but that's okay. We're, we're trying to get better. Well, reflection, right? Reflection and reflection. Yep. Do that. so <laughs> high five. We're gonna, still going to do our high five. What's our top learnings? I've got like nine listed. But anyway, we'll, we'll let's see if we can get yeah, five. I had a ton. So I clearly have reflected on this book a lot. It's in every paper that I've written in the past year. So uh, the majority of it is highlighted and I've got lots of post-its. Tabs. Yeah. Lots of post-its. So it was very hard for me to just kind of narrow down to just few, a few learnings. So what I did was I kind of looked through all of the main things that I have highlighted and I clumped those into categories. And so I kind of just made one big word and then some of the quotes that she said throughout it that really kind of stick to that category that I clumped together. That wow. makes sense. It's like you're doing qualitative analysis. It's like we're just yeah. doing a, a coding class. This is I great, Sam. Finished my qual class, so I guess it paid off. There you go. So the first um, category or like clumping, whatever we want to say that I got was um, potential. And so Duckworth talks a lot about our potential and how, you know, our potential is one thing, but what we do with that potential is another and how we advance with that. And she, you know, mentions that being in this complacent state is very easy for everyone to do. I mean, complacency is, you know, you get used to the norm and you not using that deliberate practice. But once you get outside of that and you can really see your potential and that it's not surface level, you can really dig deep and you've got more potential than you think. I think that that is really something that stands out and how if we want to do something really well, we do have to overextend ourselves and we do have to really reach and dig deep for the potential that we could potentially have. Um, And so that's one thing that sticks out to me in this entire book is just learning your potential and seeing what you can do. And I think um, when I apply that to my teaching, that is something that I want to do with my students at the college level and the elementary level is for them to really see the potential that they have when they dig deep and they keep pushing forward. And that ties, so I had my first one was the math equation. I don't know if you noticed from the beginning with the, uh, and I think 
then Duckworth had this equation of talent times effort equals skill, skill times effort equals achievement. And I think so those achievements that are going to equal your potential, I mean, you're going to have some natural talent that's going to exist, but then the effort, the effort is squared in order to help take you to the limit, right? Take you to where you can be. And I had actually written in there, um, some examples of some Wisconsin uh, walk-on players. Cause they talked about this like uh, bias towards talent. Like we see talent and like, we see someone that's naturally talented and we lean towards like, obviously they're going to be better off and mm-hmm. not thinking about what's the, what's the effort that goes along with it in order to help you meet, reach your potential potential. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a couple examples of folks. Uh, JJ Watt was a walk-on at Wisconsin. So was, um, Jim Leonard, he's now the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And there's another guy, Chris Borland. He was, uh, um, he was not a walk-on, he was, but he was, uh, he's from Ohio. He was completely ignored by Ohio State and came to Wisconsin. These are, if you're a Wisconsin Badger fan, these are like legendary defensive guys. Jim Leonard, short guy, like maybe six foot feet tall, but he played safety. And one year, as a walk-on, he uh-huh. eventually got his scholarship, but then he became one of the leaders in uh, interceptions like his senior year yeah. and then had a, like a 10 year career in the NFL. I think maybe even 12, like unbelievable, like as a walk on at the university of Wisconsin. And then you think about Chris Borland, this like short, like, but fire plug from Ohio state became like the leading tackler was like, would, uh, as a freshman, they were just kept putting him into things. They had him kick field goals. They had him do all sorts of things. He was just like this uh, great athlete, kind of like a Tim Tebow ish kind of thing when he was first at Florida that became a starting linebacker uh, and for San Francisco 49ers when Patrick Willis, a Ole Miss uh, yeah. alum, uh, was injured. He filled in and became a, a, a great linebacker for them. Retired early uh, to take care of his brain, which is interesting if you want to look up Chris Borland. He's an interesting guy. But then J.J. Watt was a uh, got, a, got a, um, a, a full ride for uh, a college in Michigan. I want to say it was Central Michigan maybe. But then he's like, I want to play at Wisconsin. Walked on at Wisconsin and became one of the greatest defensive players we ever had and now has been defense player of the year in the NFL. All those guys, like, they had some talent, obviously. Like, you don't play D1 without talent. But the effort, it seems like that compounding effort, it just made me think of them, like, of their, you know, their abilities to go beyond what their expectations were. And so that, that idea of how do we, you know, that, yes, talent is important, but that effort that effort is squared, which makes it more powerful than the talent um, we can overcome, right? And effort is actually my second category of my top learning from Duff. Wow, you can't so, even plan that. I mean, like, wow, that's it's like we're just you know showing signs to each other. It's great. All right, effort. Well, tell me about effort. Yeah, so like you were saying, effort does count twice. It is squared. And so effort builds that skill and that skill then becomes productive, which leads to achievement. And so I think even she um, quotes Woody Allen saying that, you know, 80% of success in life is showing up, but then you got to put in that effort to really get to where your potential could be. Um, And so she also talks about how we all face limits, not just in talent, but in opportunity. So that kind of goes off of what you're saying with these guys, if they would have just, you know, only focused on just their talent and not have put any extra effort in, they wouldn't be where they are today. And so, you, you know, as educators, like, I think that that is our job is to 
show that the effort is what counts. Like, great, we've all got some talents, but if you put it with your effort, you know, it's unstoppable of what you could do and where your potential could lead if you just keep pushing with that effort. Yeah, and like, how do we as teachers you know, in teaching, and again, I think of teaching broadly, and even in my own kids right now, especially, you know, especially now with all the time we spend around each other, like showing that their effort has proven some fruits, right? That yes, you have this ability, you can do this sort of thing, but how can you take it to the next level, right? With with the effort that you have, how can you reach your potential and or achievement as, as she would put it? Um, exactly. Keeping you know, that endurance, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, it keeps me thinking, and I'm just curious what you think, like having standards-based grading or have something where I can tie what people are showing to an objective or a goal or whatever it is to say like, hey, the what you've been doing here, the work you've been doing, you've you've made movement on this thing, right? Whether it is, yeah, whether it is a goal, whether it's the cube or, you know, playing a song on the guitar or something where you can, you hold something up and saying, here's where you were, here's where you are now. Look at, look at what your effort. Progress, right. Yeah, progress. And, you know, and it's not just, you're not just showing up and just things magically happen, but there's things that you have done to help. And I think that's us as teachers is being able to one, recognize, point out and, and, and coach them like, Hey, this plan that we have for your development is working like, and it's because of your effort and just showing even the smallest little steps forward are still steps forward, you know? I agree. And I do think it comes a lot to showing and explaining that to students, wherever they're, whatever it's trying to be, if it's standards based or the cube or whatever, you're trying to get them to get to that goal, show them that. Because I think too, like, especially when we think about media and movies and different things that students are exposed to, they don't see that dip where the main character is really struggling for weeks on weeks. It just might look like, oh, the main character struggles for five seconds and then all of a sudden they've reached their goal but actually showing them hey this effort takes a long time it's not just effort that you give for one day it's a consistent effort and you know keeping that endurance is very rare you know I've even in your classes that I've sat in on you talk about you know finishing the semester strong is just as important as starting the semester strong you know a lot of students come in eager for the semester and they're got their planners and they're organized and they've got all these ideas but then by the end of the semester it's just okay let's just get through it and so keeping that stability and being consistent with putting in the most effort that you can it's a task and it's challenging but I think that by explaining to students and really showing them hey this is where you were and this is where you are so keep pushing forward like don't stop now because you've grown this much and if you keep up that effort imagine how much farther you can grow yeah and i guess this goes you know right into let's you know talking about our situation that we just came through of switching all of our classes to online and then saying like you know people are in completely different circumstances who knows maybe they're take caring for folks maybe they're caring for um, siblings or whatever who knows what the situations they're in and basically saying like, not just saying like, hey, just work hard at everything, you know, show up and work hard at everything. Like, no, we as teachers need to say like, no, this is where we want you to concentrate your effort. I know that as uh, instructor of one of our classes that, you know, is like, let's trim down the objectives. Let's like, let's be really clear about what the goal is so that we're going to put all our effort here and and don't, if there's other stuff that we're going to strip away that we can say, this is where we're going to put that effort towards. 
to really help our students during a, a stressful time figure out what what is really important, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as uh, I mean, because that's all over all over the country. People had to do that, right? Because you couldn't just if you tried to conduct business as normal, you were going to fail, and you, it would not have been a great experience for your students, and actually would have been possibly a, a very disastrous experience for the students. Absolutely. What's uh, uh, so you had effort, and then I wanted to go into of my nine things. <laughs> I, I think probably have nine things up under each of yeah, my head. So. Yeah. I mean, I was. Well, I don't know. You you go again if you got another one. Yeah. Okay. So the last um, big category that I've talked about, um, or that was my main learning, and we talked about it just a little bit ago, was deliberate practice. Um, and so, you know, like we said earlier, it's a difference in just making time and having versus that quality time. You're really zoned in on a particular task that you might find challenging and you've really identified the steps that you need to overcome that challenge. And that's what you're doing during that deliberate practice. And so that's what we use the Rubik's Cube for. The students know where they are. They know that it takes effort. They've got to put in that perseverance and see like this is the 15 minutes that I have. I need to work on step one, which is the white cross. And these are the steps that I need to do to get to mastery of step one. Um, and so I think that that quality time is really important and that if they have a purpose during that, you know, deliberate practice, that, that purpose becomes a powerful motivator for students. Mm -hmm. A lot of times students do things in school just to be doing it because the teacher says so, or because we have to, and there's no purpose connected to it. But then when you give them a task that is challenging, but yet they understand that there's a purpose to it, then that's a motivator in itself. And they wanna be able to get to that purpose and they want to be able to have mastery of that skill, whatever it may be work that they're working on. Um, and I know that deliberate practice has been studied a lot with athletes and musicians and chess players and how they're not just going in to practice, you know, if they're a baseball player and they've already are wonderful at bunning they're not going to just go in and continue to practice bunning they're going to go to whatever the next thing is that they need to really zone in on and so I think that that goes hand in hand with school you know we should be focusing in on things that they need to get to the next step and not just oh we did this yesterday so let's just you know reiterate it again today it is that reflection process of how can we make it better and what can we use during this deliberate practice to get to that point of making it better yeah, and having that focus in on something. I like that part in the book. I think she was talking to like a running expert or something like that. So as she kept going, it talks about grit paragons. And so when getting to the practices, so it starts with interest and it gets into practice. And so that talk about deliberate practice and the running expert asked her like, you run, yeah. And she's like, well, what are you working on? Like, what are you trying to do to get better? Like, are you trying to improve a time? Are you trying to work on your stride? Are you, you know, like thinking about all the different ways that a runner could improve, because if without that goal, you, what do you just, you're just going through the motions. It's not deliberate practice. There's nothing really deliberate about it. I'm just, I'm going to go for a run. And so like my son right now is amazing. He's been doing these like one mile runs and he's trying to get faster and faster every single time. And so, okay, so now he's probably going to work on his stride. He's probably going to work on conserving his, because, you know, he's, he's grown a lot. So he's all elbows and knees all over the place. And so maybe trying to work on his stride a little bit, make it more in line. 
And so things like that, having some sort of stretch goal where I'm working specifically on something that I can concentrate and put my effort towards that. Uh, I'm going through all the things about the, uh, the deliver press. So stretch goal, full concentration effort, immediate and informative feedback. So like, for example, that running, you know, Hey, if the time is not uh, good, you know, it's worse than before. Okay. That was probably not the best thing to do, or right. if it is better, I did well. Um, repetition and reflection and refinement and keep working towards it. And so like that, when I, when I think about practice and, and practice has a, uh, I, I think I thought about my math homework as practice, like, mm-hmm. and I, I got that, um, from, uh, just trying to think like, okay, kids are used to practice. Let's think about like, let's use this word practice, but I really never had a, and I talked about what a quality practice is. I think this gets even more at it. Like, well, there's lots of science behind this one, but this idea of like, what is quality practice? And that puts pressure on the teacher. Like, oh, absolutely. what yeah. are we really trying to work on? Is this just, if this is just busy work, it's not going to, this not is not deliberate practice. practice. Exactly. Which is a big question to constantly ask yourself. And I have that written down in my notes later, but you know, when you give students something, is this meaningful or is this just to mark it off your checklist and say, Hey, we did it because it was the norm. That's what we were supposed to do. That's right. And that, you know, that, that goes back to, you know, my own reflection is, what did I just strip away from my class? Which, what, why did I strip it away? And does it need to come back? You know, back when we're face to face, right? Or if it does come back, how can it be refined so that it is more, um, more in the shape of deliberate practice, right? Towards this goal of becoming a teacher or whatever we're, we're trying to do. Absolutely. So, I love, yeah, deliberate practice is is something I'm thinking about, and that you'll hear more. I'm gonna talk more about deliberate practice later. Um, yeah, with deliberate practice, you know, um, I don't, the next book I have up to read is The Peak by Anders Ooh. Erickson. Yeah, yeah. He, he his um, the whole book, I think, is around deliberate practice and um, what that looks like and how to really purposely work towards a goal while being pushed beyond that expected limit um, by using that repetition and reflection. I also liked how, um, I don't know if you remember in the book when Duckworth was talking about the hard thing rule that she makes others do. And I think that's a great way to kind of think about what a deliberate practice would look like. And, you know, she makes them stick to whatever they decide the hard thing rule might be for the year, whether it's they want to learn to play the violin or play the guitar like you, you know, you got to stick with it for one year and really have that deliberate practice and see how your effort can lead to growth. Yeah. Everyone has to have a hard thing. Uh-huh. everyone has to have a hard thing you can quit but only after a certain amount of time like it's got to like if you're if it's it's can't be after a bad practice man i'm just done with this no you got to stick with it like i'm going to do it for a certain amount of time if it's a season or whatever it is if it's a through the pain of the p- piano lessons or whatever right uh-huh. but then everyone has to but then you get to choose it you get to choose yeah. it so matter what the hard thing is you choose it yeah. And that just seems like a, uh, and, and she kind of built that off of it, of, you know, there's some of the research that she's done, but then also looking at some research that was on what, uh, what are universities, you know, high uh, universities that see folks sticking with and, and graduating. Like if you had activities that you stuck with for two years and progressed, then there was a higher uh, probability of them 
finishing out the university. And so having that stick-to-itiveness that uh, through something and, and actually advancing in whatever that thing you've chosen, that says something about it, about you, right? Right, absolutely. Um, another thing that I was w- wondering what you had your thoughts on was, because mm-hmm. I think it was the purpose, it was on the purpose chapter, um, was the whole idea about a job, a career, and a calling. And so you talked about, you know, there's an analogy about a bricklayer. And so what's the, what's the, what is the bricklayer saying? And one bricklayer is saying like, I'm building a wall. And then the, the person that's takes, and that's the job. The job is I'm building a wall. Uh, The career person says, Hey, I'm building a church. And the calling person says, I'm building a house of God. And like that purpose behind what they're doing. Right. Um, Right. And seeing like how, how do we attach purpose to what we're doing and um, have some experience working with um, people from Chick-fil-A and knowing that like what they're doing, they're not just, you know, the job is to serve chicken. The career is to, you know, own a restaurant or whatever, to, you know, mm-hmm. serve food well, right? The, the calling is I'm, ha- I'm creating environments for people to get a good food and have good conversation, right? Or something like that. It's, yeah. it's beyond that. So welcoming place and provide that comfort just even for a drive through split second. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like going into like, you know, what are the teachers doing right now? You know, some are, you know, working for the, working for the summers that they treat it like a job, a career, like I I'm seeing it where it could advance me to a certain point or a calling as, you know, I'm, we're reading books to try to get better or resting so we can get better. So that once we hit the fall and whatever sort of situation we're at, we're that at, the best place possible to provide education to the students that we have in our, uh, in our classes. And so how do we, you know, make sure that we're connecting the things that they're doing, like the deliberate practice that we put in front of them with this thing about getting better, right. Getting better towards your calling, right. And really seeing that as something to strive for. And having that purpose. And I think that's, I think that's difficult. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, critics with um, regards to that word's work that say, like, students aren't always exposed to different passions that they might become interested in in Mm. an elementary school setting. So that does, you know, interfere with trying to get students to understand their purpose and what how we can make this connection between deliberate practice and a purpose when they're not being able to always you know, explore different things that they might be interested in based on, you know, a certain school that they go to or just things that the school might be limited to with resources. And so I think that is difficult, but from a teacher's standpoint and, you know, using the resources that I did have in my classroom when I was teaching second grade, I think I always strive to never kill a child's personality. And I think so often is that we have this, you know, idea of what your classroom is going to look like. And that, you know, all of the different personalities come together. But I always wanted it to be where every child's personality shined on their own. And they were able to really just express how they wanted to be and who they were. And then everyone worked together to become that, you know, little classroom community. Like we were a little family. And I think that that helped in itself, you know, see their purpose. That I can be, you know, have this personality that, you know, 
maybe I'm very talkative or maybe I'm more shy, whatever it may be, but let them know that, hey, that's okay. And we're going to work together and we're going to have this deliberate practice. And then that's going to lead to your purpose. And at the end of the year, you're going to see like how we can truly all work together to do something even better and greater. Yeah. Like in the idea yeah. of, yeah, no, that's, that's really good. I mean, you're thinking about like, rather than what should my, what, what do I want my classroom to look like? I'm going to discover what my classroom is going right. to look like with yeah. the personalities that exist within. Having an open mind of what, all the different personalities might look like and how they can work together. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very similar to when we work with the Rubik's cube. I mean, I've got some students who will only, you know, at the end of the year, be able to do step one, which is the white cross. Whereas some students might have mastery of step two, step three, step four, and you know, the whole cube. And so even by letting them see, Hey, like you still persevered and like you put in the effort. And even though all you got was the white cross, which is step one, that's still an achievement and how they can bring and build each other up. And so something that, you know, can promote um, teamwork with that would be to have the one student who can only do the white cross does the white cross passes it to another student who can only do the step two. Mm -hmm. They do step two. They pass it to another student who can do step three of the cube and they do step three. And so then they see like, Hey, this is our purpose. Like we all worked and we all had this deliberate practice of solving what we could. And now we can bring it all together. And I might not be, you know, as far as long as the student down here, but I've done my best and I've gotten to this point where we can work together as a team. Yeah. That's, I mean, and I love the things that you've pointed out and trying to get you to share more with about the different ways that you're coming up with to show these sorts of, I don't know, I would say like things you'd want to see in the rest of your classroom, but maybe this cube offers a space to say like, Hey, we are better together. Look, we were able to solve the cube together. Right. Right. Everyone had their own piece. Everyone had their own role. Now, what does that look like in team? It's almost like an illustration for those things where they're willing to try, they're willing to fail, they're willing to do things that, you know, maybe if it was, hey, we're just doing these math problems, get to work together. Like, they might not see it that way, right? There's too many things that might get in the way versus here, like, hey, we did this here, we we worked as a team together. And that's, these are the same sort of things I want you to bring over to this other space. I think, I don't know, that's some pretty powerful stuff there, Sam. Yeah, we just wanted to transfer to other life skills and even into their math and science and reading and whatever subjects that they're working on. These skills, Mm -hmm. learning the cube and this deliberate practice and understanding your purpose can be transferred into other aspects of life. Yeah, and having that, um, I like the the way that she defined purpose was to contribute to well-being of others. I mean, and just there. I mean, you know, it's solving the cube, but like you contributed to this solving of the cube. I mean, it's a small thing, but it was a well-being of others. And like thinking about how do you call those things out? How do you encourage those things within your classroom in order to define those things? And then, and then also, and just to back up a little bit, the and it's one my one of the first things I wrote down after my uh, talent and effort equation was just the encouragement of play. You know, the play in these areas, and so like. You might not even know that something like through play, you might discover there's this thing that I can do that can maybe lines up with this purpose, how I can contribute to others. Like I enjoy doing that. Like for me, you're not going to believe this, Sam, but I enjoy doing children's ministry at my church on Sundays. I think it's fun. I don't like, I love doing it. I love acting like a fool. They, they like it too. And so 
I'll do it. And they'll ask me to like sing, lead the worship time. It's fine. And I'm doing all sorts of weird, goofy things and the kids love it. And, but it's like, I know that I'm just playing around. It's an interesting and, and like, it's something that I can fill a role and, you know, but maybe that allows some kids to enjoy coming to that part of the church for more than others. Right. Absolutely. And I think it provides a sense of comfort that they might not get in other places just by being able to learn through play and being able to, you know, just be in a more relaxed environment that makes the pressure a little bit, you know, it makes it lower and they're just able to be themselves and be comfortable. And they are seeing that, Hey, even Dr. Amadon, an adult can, you know, play around and it still be meaningful and have a purpose. Yeah. And then there's other things where I'm like, you know, I'm asked to do it. And I was like, Ooh, that doesn't sound very. And then, but somebody else is like, well, this is fun. I love doing this. You know, it's like, but how do we, and actually there's one of our, uh, our, my pastor would say like, how do we give everyone an opportunity to play? Like, what are the things, like, do you like doing sound? Do you like doing, uh, working with slides? Do you like, um, you know, playing in the band or whatever, like every finding, how do we open up our classrooms in ways where people, kids get an opportunity to play and discover certain things? Like, wow, all of a sudden the kid has never gotten a chance to be in a leadership role, but they do a really good job, like of, you know, of being the leader of this small group. Okay. Well, now we have a place to, to engage them in that way. I don't know. Absolutely. Play. Like play. Learning through play. Learning through play. All right. Any more learnings or should we move on to the next category? I think we should move on to the next category. Now next you question. know. Now you know. So we're thinking about the uh, – we've kind of collapsed some categories here. So what would you have done differently or what have you done differently having read the book? Okay, so I love this question. Um, two things that I want to comment on. So first up is Duckworth's grit scale. Um I have taken her grit scale. Mm-hmm. I think that it's great. I think it's a great testing measure. However, it is not necessarily the best measure for lower elementary students, which is who I work with. Mm-hmm. And so the wording, even, um, you know, just different vocabulary terms that she uses in that scale is not necessarily on the same vocabulary vocabulary level as lower elementary students, or even at times um, high school students, I feel like could maybe miss you know, have a misconception about that term and answer the scale differently, which would then alter their results, which would right. then, you know, conflict with her findings. So that's one thing that um, has stuck out to me is because I want to use that scale and it's just not going to work with the same terms that second graders would use. The next thing is, um, so in her book and even in all of the articles that I've read by Duckworth, she talks all about her findings and all of her studies and what she's done. And, you know, several of them, you know, relate to how she's teaching deliberate practice or there's one article where she even turned up um, with Carol Dweck and they talked about um, teaching growth mindset with grit. And so with all of these studies, she basically is just kind of telling different lessons or giving like self-guided lessons with illustrations and different stories to um, mainly high school students. There's not many lower elementary students involved in her studies. But with all of this, it's just about telling. There's no how. So she's telling them about what a deliberate purpose looks like, or she's telling them about what a growth mindset looks like, but they're not actually being able to be exposed to what that 
is and how to make that happen. And so something that I always do with um, when I'm teaching with the college students, you know, and teaching how to plan a lesson plan and how to make it meaningful, I always tell my students, like, it's very easy to tell. Like, it's super easy for me to get in front of a classroom mm -hmm. and tell students what I expect. But to actually show them how, you know, and I mean, you can ask all the juniors and seniors that I've taught, like, I'm always saying, well, how are you going to do that? So I think Duckworth does a great job of explaining and telling, but the actual how component is very much missing from some of her studies and her work. And so that kind of leads me into what I'm doing with the Rubik's Cube is, you know, there's lots of research saying that grit's a predictor of success and that, you know, grit is something that can be grown and cultivated, and, but we just don't know how. And so I kind of want to figure out the how, and that's what the Rubik's Cube, that's where it's coming into play. How can that push students out of their comfort zone, give them that deliberate practice, boost their confidence, and, you know, just let them see, like, this is what can be achieved with that potential and with pushing for your effort. And so that's kind of one thing that I would do differently when I look at her book is it's just a lot of telling instead of actually showing what that might actually look like or how could we actually grow grit and grow mm -hmm. that concept with our students. Yeah. She kind of would in the final chapters, she answers some questions and she talks about parenting and stuff like that. And she's like, I don't have studies for this, but based off of what I know, this is kind of my best guess towards stuff. Um, Cause it's like, yeah, my kid's grown up. I don't have time to conduct the uh, full scale, double blind, whatever <laughs> study. <Yeah. laughs> um, and for me, I guess it like, the whole idea about deliberate practice, we already talked about that, but as habit. And so going into this idea of deliberate practice, how do we, how do we turn that into a habit? How do we make, sh and so that also means we could do less, but we could do more with less. And so uh -huh. I know there's like a bunch of books that we've already featured on the podcast that come into mind here about thinking about uh, uh, essentialism and atomic habits. And now, uh, you know, thinking about this grit, this idea of deliberate practice, but that just really helps me like figure out is what I'm doing meaningful and be, and I think for us that we're teaching teachers, like that's really good model uh, for them going into the classroom because there's all this research on homework and whether or not it's valuable. And like, you know, and I think some of us saw that with the, you know, the, the, our, you the current situation when all this work was going right. on like we could still have learning without necessarily assigning a bunch of busy work right busy work. right and so thinking about what what would what would actually be deliberate practice and be like if you actually just did this small things that would pay dividends Absolutely. so i think that's what i would do that's what i want to do and that's what you know in, in hindsight like i wish you know having this idea of like what is a quality practice look like specifically when I was teaching high school mathematics. That would have been good. Um, hey, so new category that I, yep. I finally got the name for. Let's get critical. You're, you're too young like to, to remember. Do you know Olivia Newton-John? Let's get physical? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Awesome. Very good. So let's get critical. All right. So... so like that's not your guitar next podcast. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There we you gotta have a goal, right? Oh my goodness. That's that would not be good. All right. <laughs> All right. So um I think one thing it's so you know, and this is something I talked about with you, 
and this is kind of the birth of this category, but I think it's something that should continue going forward with these books is sometimes I read a book and I'm just nodding, nodding, nodding. And, and I, I don't pause and think about, well, what's, what's the critique around it. Right. And so when I was thinking about this book and some of the criticisms I've heard of the book and some of the research within is that, you know, sometimes we think about that the way to solve a bigger problem, like, you know, kids in poverty or kids in, in really tough situations is let's just make them grittier, you know? And I think that is the, that is the, um, that is the mindset or the, the uh-huh. critique of, of the book is like, you know, if that's the answer, rather than to ignore some of these situations that people are in or ignore the circumstances that people are in is like, oh, let's just help kids be grittier. And then, you know, we don't have to worry about the, we don't have to solve these problems. Yeah, Yeah. we'll be fine. They'll be fine. It's like, so I think that was what I thought as the the criticism is like the way that some folks might use this research or they refer to this research as saying like, oh yeah, we can just ignore those bigger problems if we just help them be grittier. Exactly. Yeah. Now that's one critique that I um, noticed from the book, but then the next thing that kind of has stuck out to me, just even not with just this book, with reading different articles who are other people who are studying grit and just different studies that I've looked at. It seems to me, or this just, I mean, it might just be me too. So what, like, I think that Duckworth, all her studies, so she did the one at West Point and she had the spelling bee contestants and then several more, but it always seems that she's starting with a population that has already seems to appear to have grit from an outside point of view because in my mind if someone is at west point they've already got enough grit to get there or if you've got high school students who are you know at the spelling bee championship they've already had enough grit to get to that point and so i think that her population of where she's doing these studies there are there already is grit there you know there's already passion and perseverance for what they're aiming to do so i just find you know what would it look like if you just did a random sample of random you know students learning to spell words versus a spelling bee championship right. and or how second graders more like. yeah <laughs> exactly that's yeah. right no that, that's that's good i like i like the way you went there cuz i i mean even thinking about the yeah the studies Man, Sam, this is great. That's really good. I just I think that that has a lot to do with the findings that she has yeah. gotten is because she's starting off with a population that probably already has a high grit scale. Right. Um, if they were to take the test, you know, beforehand, there it's already going to be a higher percentage than your average person that's not in West Point. Right. But on the other hand, too, and this is and this is you know I, I like that we're doing this, but I, on the other hand. I always go back to what is the loving thing to do, right? So like, how do we, how do we love others through our teaching and thinking like, well, if we do have this book, I hold it up to the camera. If we do have this book and we do have some insights into it, and we do have some ideas about practice and we do have some findings, even if they might not be um, starting with populations, it's like, we shouldn't ignore it. Like right. to, to ignore it, like would be like, well, you know, we need to pay attention to these other problems. But if I have a way like, you know what focus like the like they talk about in with the jeffrey canada who did the uh, uh brooklyn project shoot i can't remember the exact term but he's talking about we spend money on extracurriculars because we know it's important and we want them to to have some attention on things outside of school and like 
you know, that that could be, and, and then we've got the book to point to like, yeah, that's a good thing to do. We want people to be in these things. And, right. and so to ignore that, because we're going to say like, oh, because of either the, where the studies are or where, you know, how this might be phrased so that people are ignoring larger issues, like to ignore it would not be loving. Right. So we're, we, we can have, we can have a both end thinking there. Like we can focus, we, yes, we need to pay attention to these larger issues, but if we know these things about grit and we can help promote that within classrooms, schools, whatever, we should do that as well. Right. Absolutely. And it also appears in what I've read that, you know, grit can change, like your grit levels can change throughout your life. And so when you're looking at these studies, especially of um, the West Point cadets, um, you know, they're going to be more mature and older and they've had more experience than, for instance, the students who are in the spelling bee competition mm-hmm. who are in junior high and high school. So I do too think that that has an influence as to what your grit level could potentially be just based on your age and maturity and things that adversity that you've already faced in your life and how you've overcome that. Right. Absolutely. All right. So the next cut, sum in seven, not sum for seven, sum in seven. So seven words. You get seven words, Sam, to sum. Okay. So I kind of looked at this two different ways. So a more direct sum. So just, you know, looking at the cover, what's yep. the sum of this book? I would say grit, the combination of passion and perseverance. I mean, that's, that's there you go. Sum. Yep. Okay. But for more of an abstract view of kind of like how I look at this book, like even we know, and it's been sitting in my bookshelf for the past few months and I haven't really picked it up until we were starting to prepare for this podcast. I always think back to, I would sum this book up as staying on the treadmill. I think that she talks a lot in the beginning about, you know, you fall down seven and you rise eight and what are you going to do to stay on that treadmill? You know, if you've got that deliberate practice and, you know, you were talking about your son wants to run his mile even faster. So I think it's, you know, staying on the treadmill. What What's it going to take for you to have that effort to stay on it and keep nice. going? Yeah, very good. I, I like the, uh, they talked about the UNC uh, soccer coach and some of the things that he did and like the beep mm-hmm. test and things like that. Yeah, those are real like... T- tangible examples of of what he's what they're talking about in the book here's mine play with intention to persevere with purpose Ooh, i like that yeah so trying to trying to capture some things persevere with purpose yes so even think like i'm just thinking about it with kids and you know even thinking about summertime um you know, giving opportunities for kids to do things. So even like if they want to play video game, all right, we'll do something, do something impressive with the video game. Like try to beat it, try to do something like we're not just playing, like try to advance or trying to have a goal. Right. And so playing with attention to persevere with purpose and joke. Yeah. And trying like I achieved something. It might not be something that I'd recognize, like you didn't build anything, you didn't, but you, Oh, you did this in the video game. That was hard. Okay. Awesome. Right now, let's 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 keep let's keep going on from there. And so, you know, trying to encourage um, some things that are of a choosing of my kids or the choosing of the students. And so, getting them to see like how you know they can you know do certain things in the classrooms uh, that I not not understand, but like to see how they can try some things and open up spaces for those experiments and to again playing with attention to persevere with purpose. So. I like that. Playing with intention. It's good. Good job. Thank you. All right, Sam, you're an experienced teacher. 
And so this is a this is a question I love to ask at conferences. It's yeah. just if I starting up with uh, you know, just starting new teacher and just asking an experience person like, hey, what's the best thing you do in your teaching or to help your teaching? Right. Um, well, besides the obvious of you just staying up to date with what's out there and listening to different podcasts, I think that the number one best thing that I do to help my teaching is by far reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm a big reflector and I think I'm constantly considering how I can improve my lessons and, you know, what strategies could I have used to make something better and what can I do in the future to change this assignment to make it more meaningful. And so um, with reflection, and I've already mentioned this, two things that I constantly ask myself and it took me a while to make the... um, Uh, what's the word, the connection, I guess, between going from teaching second graders to going to teach juniors and seniors in college. And then when I, you know, reflected a lot after my first semester, I I quickly realized there's, there's not much difference. And, you know, the same strategies that I used in second grade that I know that worked are the same strategies that I can use at a college level that could also work. And those two things that, you know, I always point to when I'm thinking about what works is, a, I ask myself, how am I going to do it? I'm not just going to tell them. How am I actually going to show them why this is important and why it's meaningful when learning to become an educator? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether that's breaking the steps down, I, I think that a lot of times teachers of all, whatever grade you teach, just assume that students already know what you're talking about. But it's really starting at the very bottom and then creating that foundation and then really getting to the how and the why that this is important. And then the second thing that I constantly ask myself with any lesson, any instruction is, is this busy work or is this meaningful? Should it be here or is this just wasting their time and my time with passing it out or assigning it? Yeah. Um, and so reflecting, but then asking myself those two things, the how and is it meaningful? Nice. Very good. And I know just in the short amount of time I've uh, seen you teach here at the University of Mississippi. I just, I've seen lots of growth and again, lots of positive interactions between you and the teacher candidates here. And so knowing that uh, it's a, it's a good place. It's a good place for them to be is in your classroom. So I appreciate it, Sam. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And glad you talked about, yeah, well, I mean, and you, the, the, the fact that you talked about reflection, I'm thinking we're going to do a couple episodes in the near future on reflection and trying to yeah, establish some reflection points for my own past, but then talking to some people that uh, we'll, we'll just say, oh, I think it'll be fun to, to journey back uh, with a few folks in, in from my past. And they're really good folks to, to talk to. So uh, I'm excited to share that in the future and we'll have more announcements on that coming up. Hopefully nothing's secured yet. So we're stay tuned. I'm excited. Right. It's a cliffhanger. Well, Sam, thank you so much for the time. Um, and yeah, appreciate. And we look, maybe we'll have to talk uh, once we're done with the uh, dissertation research, huh? Yes, I would love to. Thank oh. you for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. As always. She's pretty good. Yeah. I've had lots of conversations with Sam about teaching and teaching better and glad that you got to get a glimpse of what some of those conversations are and hopefully you gain some value out of them as well. And just love that she had a chance to talk about this book because, again, she has lots of ideas. As you can hear, she had lots of ideas about it. And even going back to our original conversation where we talked about teaching math as agape and thinking about this idea of starting with the act of unconditional love towards our students and thinking about how do we promote a beneficial relationship between them and content. And we, 
and even them in the world in thinking about how can we ignore these ideas within grit, right? And yes, there are some things, we talked about this in the episode or in the conversation, where there are larger systemic and societal issues that we can't ignore, but that might lead to someone needing grit. But how can we ignore the ideas, the research within here, if we can see that they'd be beneficial for our students in whatever they're at? Yes, we need to, it's, it's, it can be a both end. We need to address larger issues, but we can address these at the smaller level, micro and macro at the same time. So if you're looking for show notes for this episode, you can find them at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 24. But anyway, that's about all we have for this episode. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review. You can subscribe to the Amadon Planet download, containing which contains teaching resources and updates from Amadon Planet. You can follow at Amadon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or you can just like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. And or you don't just have to want do one of them. You could do all of them if you wanted to. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links in the footer. Links can be found in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com. And all of your purchases at either of those two, those two online locations will support the future production costs of the podcast. And we're grateful to anyone out there who has got a shirt, a mug, or has uh, bought a book through the, the links. We really appreciate that. In conclusion, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Sam for sharing her thoughts and expertise. Uh, thanks to Angela Duckworth for writing Grit. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.